So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to make your way to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 12 through 25. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 all the way through the end of the chapter. And before I read these words, let me remind us, church, this is God's holy, inspired An authoritative word. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, And the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let us pray now and ask God to bless this time as he addresses us. Oh great God, you have already this morning through countless ways reminded us of your many mercies that you have given us through Jesus Christ. And we have sung and celebrated those wonderful mercies. And now, Lord, we get to receive yet another gift from you. We get to receive your kind and gracious care as you address us through your word. You are our heavenly father who wants to speak to us today. You are our kind and gentle shepherd who wants to lead us today. 
by the power of the Spirit. You want to make the Word come alive in our hearts and our minds. And you want to transform us in light of what you're about to say to us. But we confess, Lord, we need your help. So Spirit of God, come now. Help us all to have ears to hear. Help us have minds that are attentive and alert and responsive. And Lord, give us hearts that delight in your word. Father, help me in the task you've given me this morning to serve your saints. You love them. And I want to love them as you love them. So help me to serve them and to serve them well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how you feel about the subject of geography. Maybe you're one of those people you love geography. Maybe you're one of those people you hate geography. It was like the subject you couldn't stand. Or maybe you're probably like most of us indifferent. I I would guess that in a room this size, there are some of you who are very knowledgeable when it comes to geography. And well, you're kind of one of those people that likes to tell everybody geographical facts. And you you know, you're always letting people know, did you know this? Every time you go somewhere or you see a map, you're one of those kind of people. But then there's probably many folks in this room who you have probably forgotten most of the states and capitals you were forced to memorize in middle school. Right there, there's Billy. I'm, I'm with you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you, my friend. Well, no matter how you feel about the topic or the subject of geography, when reading the Bible, we must pay careful attention to the places that are mentioned in each story, in each text, and in each verse of Scripture. Now, I would suspect that most of the time when we come across the name of a specific place in Scripture, we view those places simply as background information. They're, they're, they're important for contextual kind of background. What, where did this take place? But we view it just contextually and not necessarily theologically. But I want you to consider this this morning. The very storyline of Scripture not only unfolds along the lines of important people. The very storyline of Scripture unfolds along the landscape of important places. See, you cannot tell the story of the Bible without mentioning important people. Abraham and Moses and David and the Apostle Paul and Peter and John. But you can't tell the story of the Bible without mentioning important places. Let let me illustrate what I mean. Think about the Old Testament. Can you tell the story of the Old Testament without mentioning all of the important places that are mentioned? Think about how the Bible starts. God created the heavens and the earth. He creates the first couple, Adam and Eve, and he places them in 
Eden. Then we fast forward to Genesis 11 and we come to a city called Babel. And what happens in Babel changes world history and redemptive history. And right after that story, we meet a man named Abram who becomes Abraham. And God makes a promise to him, I'm going to make you the father of of a nation that is going to be my people. And if you're going to be my people and you're going to be a nation, I'm going to give you a land. And that land was called Canaan and Abraham's family was was to inherit that land but then the Egyptians came and took God's people and took them into slavery for over 400 years they dwelt in Egypt until God rescued them and then on their way back to Canaan they stopped at Mount Sinai and it was there at that mountain that God gave them the law and then for 40 years For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. The first generation died in the wilderness. The second generation had the the, the privilege of finally returning to the land of Canaan. And in the book of Joshua, then we hear about this return to the land. And we hear of places like Jericho and Shiloh. And then eventually, this city called Jerusalem. And then if we fast forward to the time of the prophets... Two other very important places emerge, Assyria and Babylon. And once again, God's people would be taken into captivity, would be removed from the land of Canaan to either dwell in Assyria or Babylon until they finally return by the end of the Old Testament to the land of Canaan. And then we turn to the New Testament. And there, there is a new world power. Rome. And there in the New Testament, we hear about places like Bethlehem and Nazareth and Samaria. And then we turn to Paul's epistles and we read his letters to what? To churches in cities like Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi, just to name a few. And in the New Testament, we discover two spiritual eternal places of great consequence we hear about heaven and hell then we come to the last book of the bible and there we receive a a revelation from the risen lord and guess who that revelation was given to it was given to seven churches in seven cities like laodicea and sardis and philadelphia and then finally we come to the end of the revelation and there we come to the last place mentioned in scripture revelation 21 and we hear about the new jerusalem where heaven and earth are united. Do you get the point? Places matter in the storyline of Scripture. And this point is worth reflecting on and emphasizing as we come to Matthew chapter 8, or Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23 because what we're going to see in this text is not only do places matter in the storyline of scripture we discover that places matter in the mission of Christ places matter in the mission of Christ look back with me now at verse 12 and here we're told by Matthew 
that when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew in to Galilee. Now think about what's taking place here, what has just occurred before this passage, and now what has occurred in verse 12. We're told Jesus' public ministry had begun soon after his baptism, which has just occurred, his temptation in the wilderness, and then after the arrest of John. Think of John's arrest as the signal to Jesus that it's time for his public ministry to begin. It was as if Jesus heard of John's arrest and it was like the starting gun saying, okay, it's time to go. This is my cue. I have been waiting to reveal and unveil my true identity and my glory. He hears of John's arrest and now his public ministry begins. And as we're told in verse 17, now at this point, Jesus goes throughout all of Galilee and he begins to proclaim repentance to all, calling them to repentance and preaching about the arrival of God's kingdom. But look what happens then in verse 13. Pay careful attention to what Jesus does once his public ministry is beginning. It's, it's quite surprising. It says, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun in Naphtali. Think about what just occurred. Jesus now knows, okay, for all these years, I have remained quiet about who I really am. Now it's time to reveal my true identity and to show everyone who I am and why I came. And we're told that to begin his ministry, not only Did he leave Judea where he is currently located up to this point? Remember, he had been baptized. He had been seen there in Judea. Now we're not only told that he doesn't remain there. He goes back to Galilee. And to our surprise, he leaves his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes to a new place called Capernaum. Think about that. It's time for Jesus's ministry to begin. You would think out of all places, he would go to Jerusalem, but he doesn't. It's his time to to finally reveal his mission. And not only does he return to Galilee, he packs up his things and he leaves Nazareth And he goes to this new place. Why did he do this? Why did Jesus do this? Because by going to this place, we're told in verse 14 that Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy spoken by Isaiah several hundred years beforehand. See, by going to this particular region, Jesus, we're told, was fulfilling the plan of God. 
That's why we're to understand when it says in verse 14, so that that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. It doesn't just mean that there was a prophecy given and Jesus happened to fulfill it. It was, this was God's plan way before Jesus showed up and Jesus is fulfilling this plan, which then begs the question, why is this God's plan and purpose for Jesus? Why have him pick up his things and go not only back to Galilee, but to this new place called Capernaum? And here's what we discover in verses 15 and 16. Jesus was to go there. This was God's plan for Jesus to go there because Galilee and Capernaum were filled with spiritual darkness. And they were places not only full of Jews, but in the days ahead, this place that Jesus was starting his ministry would become the corridor to reach the Gentile world. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Matthew quotes from Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Did you catch that? The desire and plan of God through the ministry of Jesus was for him to begin his public ministry as a light shining brightly in a dark place. Sovereign Grace Church of Midland, Galilee was a strategic place in the mission of Jesus. Galilee was a strategic place as Jesus is going to carry out his mission. We see that then in verses 18 through 22. Think about what just occurred. We all are, are probably familiar with this story, but here's what I want to draw attention to. Where does this story take place? It's time for Jesus to begin his public ministry. He's now going to take in not only some disciples, but 12 in particular who are going to be near and dear to him. He's going to train them and send them out. And guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't go to Jerusalem, show up at the temple and say, who are your best Bible students? Guess where he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John from Capernaum? From this land filled with darkness. It's there that he says, you men are going to be my disciples. That's strategic. Jesus could have went somewhere else and recruited men from some other place. And he called them. And then we're told in verses 23 through 25, one of Matthew's what's called his summary statements. This is where he kind of summarizes all that Jesus has been doing. 
And he lets us know that he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then I love verse 24. So his fame spread through all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Here's what we're to see. It's not just naming all of these places in which people are following him. If we're paying attention to what's happening, it's saying when Jesus began his ministry in Galilee and in Capernaum in particular, something began to happen. It's like when you take a rock and you drop it in the water, what happens? There's ripples. And all of a sudden, this place that had been prophesied by Isaiah, Galilee of the Gentiles, a place of darkness, is now becoming the place in which the fame of Jesus is spreading. You can hear the, the reverberation, the echo of the fame of Jesus spreading from this place called Galilee. Then what we discover at the end of Matthew's gospel is that Galilee was not only the place in which Jesus went for the sake of mission. Galilee is the place Jesus sent people for the sake of mission. Do do you recall what Jesus said to the women after he rose from the tomb? Matthew 28 verse 10. Listen to what he says to the ladies once he sees them there. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. What's with that? They're in Jerusalem. Why doesn't he just show up there? And these women come to the tomb. They see him and he says, tell the boys we're meeting at the rendezvous spot. The place where I called them, tell them I'll meet them there again. And why are they all to go to Galilee? Beginning in verse 16, we're told now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age Do you know what these verses demonstrate to us? That places matter to Christ. And therefore, as his disciples, the places that we live should matter to us. The place in which God has put us should matter to us. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Is this how you view the place in which you live? If places matter, 
to Christ? Does the place that you live matter to you? Do you have a theology of place, if I could put it that way? Do you have a theology of place? Let let me put it a little differently. Do you believe that the place in which you live is the place in which God has put you for the sake of his kingdom? Now, let's, let's... It's easy maybe to sign off on and to say, sure, I I assent to that. But let's test drive that. If someone was to ask you, why are you here in Midland? It's because of my job. It's where my family grew up. Maybe for you, some of you younger high schoolers that are thinking about going away to college. If someone was to ask you one day, "Why, why are you where you are? Is our answer, well, because I'm at school here. Because this is where my family is. Or, I'm here because Christ has put me here. This is the place that Jesus has assigned to me for the sake of his kingdom. This morning, I want to encourage us That God has sovereignly placed us where we are for the sake of his kingdom. Whether that's Midland, Texas or Seguin, Texas. Wherever we are, we must see it as God's good plan for us. And that he has sovereignly placed us where we are. Church, if we're to live on mission, we must have a heart for the place God has put us. And I know enough about you as a church to know you care to live on mission. You're a church that is invested in mission. And therefore, if you're, you're going to continue to, to, to be a church that is invested in mission, you, you must see this place in which God has put you. As your mission field. Now, if this is true, that, that places matter to Christ and that He's placed us where we are for the sake of His mission, how, how, do, we, how do we flesh this out and apply this to our lives? Well, there are probably many ways and many points of application. I just want to draw out two this morning. Two ways in which we can see this passage in Matthew 4 that clearly illustrates that places matter in the mission of Christ. How then we can turn around and we can begin to say, okay, so what does this mean for me and for my family and for where I am now and for my future? Here's here's the first point of application. For some of you here, being sent by Jesus to live on mission will involve you going to a new and unfamiliar place. For some, being sent by Jesus to live on mission will mean going to a new and unfamiliar place. You see, sometimes in order to fulfill the mission of Jesus, we must be willing to leave the place that we love and the people that we love for the fame of his name to spread. 
I think we see that in the text. Think about verse 13. Don't don't let this pass you by. Jesus left Nazareth. Nazareth was his hometown. And here's what most Bible scholars would say about this point in Jesus' life when he's now in his 30s. There's no more mention of Joseph. We can speculate, and I think it's on good ground, that his mother is widowed. And if we read the New Testament carefully, it appears that his brothers didn't come to saving faith after his, until after his resurrection. So here's Jesus leaving his widow mother and his unbelieving brothers to go on mission. You don't think that meant something to him? You don't think that weighed on his heart? But sometimes we have to leave the place we love and the people we love for the fame of Jesus to spread. And we see the same in verse 22. We're told that that James and John not only left the boat, they left their father. Because Jesus says, I want you to live on mission. Sometimes... In order to go where God is sending us, we must leave the ones we love. I want to encourage everyone here this morning to be willing. Not that God is going to call us to do this, but to be willing to go to a new place for the sake of mission if that's what Christ calls us to do. I pray, as I'm sure Your pastors have prayed that in this church, God would raise up men and women who have a heart for the nations. And that one day from this place, God would send out missionaries who leave the comforts of home. Who leave those that they love to go to a new place for the sake of God's kingdom. Maybe the Lord one day will call you. To leave a place and a people you love. Not to go overseas. It may be somewhere else in the state of Texas. Or somewhere else in the United States. To be a part of church planting. One of the things I love about our family of churches. Not only are we serious about planting churches. We we believe the best way to plant churches. Is not just send a, a pastoral team. Or a pastor and his family. It's to already send a small congregation. So every time Sovereign Grace plants churches. A call goes out to all Sovereign Grace churches. Would you pray that, you may, that God may be calling you to pick up, leave your job, leave your neighborhood, leave all that you have to be a part of this new work. And maybe in the days ahead, God is going to call you to do the same. See, God may be calling some of you to go while he's calling Others to send. And sometimes that's the harder part. He may be calling some of you to go, but he may be calling you as a church to send. As I was preparing to come for this weekend and just thinking about you as a church, I I was reminded of your commitment as a church to the Great Commission. And I just want to commend you as as a church for your example. The work you do at Rancho 3M, the work that has been taking place 
in Nepal. I want to commend your pastors. I know he's not in here right now, but I want to commend Alan and his heart for the nations and all that he's done. I want to commend you as a congregation for releasing your pastors to go, for giving generously so, so, that mis- so that mission can be done outside of the walls of this place or within Midland. And I want to encourage you to remain zealous for the cause of Christ among your neighbors and among the nations. But hear this. For you to pursue the cause of Christ as a church, the hardest thing you may be called to do is not to go, but to send your best. That may be the hardest thing God calls Sovereign Grace Church of Midland to one day do. Is to send out your best for the sake of his kingdom. We experienced this years ago at LifeGate Church. As we had the privilege and the opportunity to send out one of our best. And it was painful. And it was not in our plan. But it was God's plan. And it was a good thing. Some of you who have been here a long time know the name Philip Estrada. Others that may not know him know his mom and dad who are here with us this morning. Philip grew up in this church. Was saved as a teenager. Discipled by guys not only like Billy but Alan. And years ago Philip came to Lifegate Church Seguin and became an active member. Became, got married to his wife Danielle and We saw a gifting in Philip and and we invested in him and and we eventually sent him to the pastor's college. And it was our plan at that time. I was, I had gone there and was serving alongside the founding pastor and we were, we were switching roles where he was going to remain on the team and I was going to become the lead pastor. And and the plan was for Philip then to, to come on full time and for Bob Odom to retire. And then one day Philip says, The Lord's been giving me a heart for something and I need to share it with you. Can we pray about it? And he says, I feel like the Lord is calling me to plant in San Antonio. That was not part of our plans. And we have never, after all these years, we have never gotten over the effect And the impact that Phil had in our church. But guess what? It was the hardest thing we've ever done as a church. And it has been the most rewarding. Because we hear about lives being transformed in San Antonio, Texas. Because our little church, smaller than you, got to be a part of something far bigger than ourselves. It was costly. But oh, it was so rewarding. And if we had the chance, we would do it all over again. So I'm praying for you as a church that if it is the Lord's will, that in the days ahead when it's time to send, you will be a church with tears in your eyes that will gladly send and send your best. Maybe you will go and maybe you will send because that is one of the ways we live on mission in the places that matter to Christ. But there's a second way. 
A second way that we can hear this passage and reflect on it and then apply it. And for most of us here this morning, being sent on mission by Jesus means staying where we are. And everybody just went, (laughs) right? Deep breath. See, for most of us, staying where we are is the most comfortable option of the two. And yet, I'm aware that there may be some here today who cringe at the thought of staying where you are. Oh, Lord, send me to Africa. Don't make me stay here. Send me anywhere. But, oh, Lord, please don't make me stay in Midland. (laughs) For some of you, staying where you are is comfortable. But for others to remain content where you are will prove far more sacrificial than going. And I want you to know that all week I've been praying for you. I prayed for you this morning in particular. I prayed all week in light of this text that God would give you a greater vision and a bigger heart for the place in which you live. Because I'm aware only God can do that. That God would give you a greater vision. See, the Lord wants all of us to have a heart for the place he has sent us. And he wants to give us eyes to see the mission field around us. And he wants us to have faith for his kingdom work that is taking place among us. And I pray as a church that that would be true of you. And I pray for us at LifeGate Church that that would be true of us in Seguin. That we would have a heart for the place God has sent us. And we would have eyes wide open to the harvest field around us. And on the hardest days, they would not keep us from seeing the good kingdom work God is doing among us and around us. Now before... I bring the message to a close. I want to consider one last place that is mentioned in this passage. Because it too was a place that mattered to Christ. And it too played a strategic role in the mission of Christ. May we not overlook Nazareth. It's mentioned in verse 13. It's mentioned for the first time. In chapter 2, verses 23, where we hear something similar to Capernaum. And Jesus went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So where Jesus lived in Nazareth, that was according to the purpose and plan of God. And when he went to Capernaum, that was according to the will of God. And I want us to focus as we close on Nazareth because I think there's some important lessons to learn here. And I've been greatly helped by an article entitled God Grew Up in a Forgotten Town by author David Mathis from Desiring God. And this is what he said. This is just an excerpt. And in this article, David Mathis is is commenting on the significance of the place where Jesus grew up and its implications for us today. And here's one of the things he says. The Old Testament never mentioned Nazareth. 
He says, think of all the genealogies and the historical accounts and what seems at least to us today like unusual attention to land, geography, and place. So many proper names and not one single mention of a rustic settlement tucked away in a region known for its obscurity. For over 30 years, Jesus grew up in a place that's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It's off the beaten path. David Mathis continues. Nazareth was an uncelebrated, forgotten town off the beaten path, even for Galilee. When guileless Nathaniel queried a friend about Jesus, do you remember this? I know you're going through the Gospel of John. Back in John chapter 1, verse 46. When guileless Nathaniel queried a friend about Jesus, he expressed the common Jewish sentiment for the first century. Do you remember what he said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> David, Matthews, David Matthews continues. Among Jews... Nazareth's reputation was poor enough, but outside of Israel, the town wasn't even known, which is why each of the gospel writers had to explain what Nazareth was. It's a town in Galilee when they first mentioned it. It's that unheard of. It's that obscure. But then he wrote this. He says, God the Son himself grew up in a forgotten town in Galilee. And how many of us today harbor a kind of mild contempt for our Nazareth? Suspecting in our unchastened arrogance that we've ascended to heights greater than our modest origins. But oh, what God might be doing in our Nazareth. And how he might be redeeming the days and the decades that feel to us like such a waste. And he closes with this thought. How remarkable that our Lord being fully God and perfect man didn't make for the big city first chance he got or insist he dwell where all the action was. Rather, he gave nearly the entirety of his life and public ministry not grasping for Jerusalem but humbling himself in Galilee and in a man forsaken town called Nazareth. Have you ever stopped to consider why Jesus spent 30 years in Nazareth living an ordinary life in a small town? Why do you think God planned it this way? You ever thought about that? I'll ask the question maybe we're all thinking but we think would should, should, we, should we say it? Doesn't that seem like a waste? Think about all the people he could have healed. Had he not started his ministry after 30 something years of living in obscurity in some know-nothing town. Think about how many more people he could have preached to. How many more places he could have gone. How many more disciples he could have raised up. And yet he lived an ordinary life in Nazareth before beginning his public ministry. 
Why? Church, what Jesus was doing in Nazareth for all those years has massive implications for us and our salvation. You see, what Jesus was doing all those years in Nazareth was this. He was living an obedient life in our place so that he could save us. We often neglect this truth about Jesus. We often rightly rejoice in all that he did when he died on a cross for us. We celebrate his sacrificial death to atone for our sins. But that would have been nothing and would have mattered nothing had he not lived an obedient and perfect life. See, Jesus was living this perfect life in our place. Listen, for 30 years, Jesus was perfectly obeying his heavenly father in our place. He was the perfect son, the perfect brother, the perfect neighbor, the perfect worker, the perfect student. These weren't wasted years. This morning we are here and redeemed and can call God our Father because Jesus for 30 years in obscurity obeyed in our place. And what difference does this make for you and for me to remember that Jesus lived an ordinary obedient life in Nazareth? Friends, it should remind us that the years we spend living in obedience to God and our day-to-day activities, they are not wasted years. They are not wasted years. Listen, they reflect the life of the Savior. And they're pleasing to the Lord. I had no idea that this morning Alan was going to be sharing what he did. But can I just say in light of this passage, what what Alan did not only showed care for his family, as Billy said, it not only showed qualifications that he should be a man who's leading what he did pleased the Lord it pleased the Lord and it's not a small thing when we please the Lord and so let us not think that our ordinary average day-to-day activities are ever wasted when we're seeking to do all that we are for the glory of our Savior Brothers and sisters, whether God calls you to remain in Midland or God calls you to go elsewhere, wherever he calls you to be, I want you to ask yourself this question. And I take this question from verse 24. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Am I living here for the fame of his name? Am I where I'm at? Because this is where the best job opportunity is. Am I here because this is where I've grown up? Or am I here for the fame of his name? And if you're here this morning because you are exploring the claims of Christianity, I want to encourage you this morning to consider the place you find yourself this morning you're here for a reason it's not coincidence that you arrived at sovereign grace midland this morning and you heard all of these songs singing about a gracious god 
who instead of giving us what we deserve, put all the judgment that our sins deserve on his son so that we could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to him. It's not an accident or coincidence that you are here this morning. God in his kindness brought you here so that you could hear the best news in all the world. So that God could give you hope where maybe right now you are lacking hope. This morning you find yourself in that place where you are still just wondering. I I don't know a, a lot about Christianity. Maybe you grew up in the church and you've left. But you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. First of all, I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. If you have more questions, I know the pastors of this church would love to talk with you. To answer questions, to wrestle with the things that we all wrestle with. But I'm glad you're here. Now I want to close this morning by by praying for you as a church. I want to pray for you that the fame of Jesus would spread throughout Midland and beyond as you as a congregation live intentional, obedient lives in the place God has, has put you. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of standing before these dear men and women, these saints that you have purchased with your blood, whom you love greatly. And I thank you that I was able to open up your word. I pray that everything I said was faithful and helpful. And now I pray, Lord, that you would write this truth on our hearts. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. And we cannot do it apart from your help. So some here this morning that are feeling the call to go. Lord, would you just over time confirm that call if it is your will. And for those that are struggling to stay. Lord, would you meet them and would you encourage their heart when maybe they're weary Maybe they're missing family. Maybe they've given up a lot and where they were to be here. I pray that they would not see these as wasted years. And Father, may each member of this church live intentional lives that reflect the gospel, that reflect the heart of the Savior, in every sphere of their lives, in their homes, in their workplaces, in their community, and the teams that they're a part of. And may the fame of Jesus spread throughout all of Midland, to Mexico and Nepal, and to the ends of the earth for the glory of your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.